Hello, welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm Andy Clef, and my co-host tonight is Troy Lightfoot. Hello. We're joined today by a group of really wonderful guests who we'll introduce in a moment to you. We're going to attempt something really brave, a, a panel discussion around how we use our Agile mindsets, those values and beliefs in our daily life with our partners, with our children, maybe even with our pets, right? Giving <laughs> agility training for Fido a whole new meaning. So, so panelists, nothing is off the table. Well, maybe some things. We want to keep this safe for work, right? So our goal is to take the software development aspect out of the Agile Manifesto for software development and, and share together how we apply the guiding principles outside of the workplace. So I've drawn virtual straws, and we're going to go through uh, our guests in, in, in some order here. And uh, I'll, I'll introduce how I met some of you, and then give you, give you 30 seconds or so to give your pitch. First up with the virtual straw drawing is Lisa Atkins. Welcome back, Lisa. Hi. Hello, hello. Glad to be back. So during our previous discussion, Agile and Mindfulness, you mentioned that you wouldn't have gotten married had it not been for Agile. Yeah. So we've invited you back to unpack that a bit for okay, us. Okay, cool. So you you have the hot seat first. Tell us more. So um, about that topic or just about me? We're doing introductions, yeah? Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's just do introductions first because I'll, I'll tell you more. I tried to rope my husband into coming on the podcast, but he's kind of a social anxious guy and it, it was not going to happen. But I'm looking forward to telling my side of the story about Agile and marriage. So who I am, Lisa Atkins, I care about making things that matter in the world. And I think Agile helps us do that. I care really a lot about the role of Agile coach because I think that's the one role designed not to collude with the dysfunctions around us. And uh, if we do it well, and I hope we can continue to do it better and better all the time. I am the president emerita of Agile Coaching Institute, which I care about quite a lot. Many of our listeners know of your book. Many have the opportunity to take some of your courses. I was just talking to Troy briefly. He's currently in uh, the three-day coaching camp. And for me, I can tell you it was transformational. Yeah. And I don't use that word lightly. So you're doing great work in this world. It's really wonderful. Thank you. How do you, how do you, Lisa, take the software development out of the manifesto? How do you bring it into your life? I actually think Agile works better outside of software because there's not a bunch of legacy stuff to deal with. Things are kind of more fresh. So there's a, a bunch of principles and values that are, you know, imbibed into my life. But probably the simplest thing is Agile Thanksgiving which is, you know, a way to get help so that I don't pull my hair out on Thanksgiving trying to do everything myself and the lessons I've learned in sharing uh, the work, sharing the work. Agile Thanksgiving. So what is that like in your house? Well, it looks like the product owner who is me, also known as the organizer. So I guess if you're the organizer in your household, by definition, you're the product owner, sitting down in the morning and writing out everything that needs to be done, including the things that I know I am the only one who can do them by concluding those so that, and I don't know if you ever noticed that kitchen cabinets are the perfect, not started in progress and done like <laughs> one for, you know, one cabinet for each. It's really, really simple. And so in our house, Thanksgiving morning, I sit down, I write everything out 
And I started doing this a few years ago because I realized, you know, my daughter can come down the stairs on Thanksgiving morning and look at a task and go, oh, I can vacuum the living room. Okay. And, you know, she started doing that. So I get lots of help on Thanksgiving now by getting it all out in public space and people can help versus I would just kind of, I guess, magically expect them to read my mind and know what to do. And then I would grumble that I was exhausted and didn't have a good Thanksgiving because I was doing everything. And that's just, you know, that was just silly. Troy, did you have something to add? Well, I was going to say that that's, I hadn't thought about using it for Thanksgiving, but um, I think that's pretty awesome. (laughs) So Lisa, you were talking, you mentioned earlier on a previous episode, like Andy mentioned, that uh, if it wasn't for Agile, you wouldn't be married. So is there any way to unpack that for us? Well, that's that's probably back down to the the essence or the values of Agile, right? So I came into Agile as a plan-driven project manager. And in that world, you know, I don't, I don't think I would have said it then, but I can look back on it now and see that I really was looking at human beings as objects, not people, you know, trying to kind of move them around and get as much done as possible. And there was all this ridiculous work in progress and everything was always an open loop. It was a very confusing, confounding kind of way to work. And in that way of working, I really didn't look at people very much. I didn't have time to look at people very much. I was just busy doing the next status report, you know, trying to get information out of people. So, you know, along comes Agile. I kind of tripped my way into it. And it wasn't long after that, maybe six or eight months after that, that this man who I had been friends with for five years, it just like absolutely dawned on me that I was in love with him. And I had been for probably a while, but not knowing it because I had finally slowed down to see him for who he is because Agile had slowed down my process so much. Hmm. Yeah, that's, and it was amazing. Awesome. And and thank God he hadn't given up on me cuz you know by the time I I realized this <laughs> so funny. I realized this on a Friday night when he has taken me and my daughter who at this point is about 7 years old out to a movie, which was like a normal thing like the three of us pals yeah. would do, right? You know, we'd go to a movie. It was um is Catherine Zeta-Jones and Antonia Banderas. What are those movies? Zorro, Zorro movie. Right. And I was sitting next to him on one side and my daughter on the other side. And there's this scene where they're getting married and they have this really lovely kiss. And he goes like this. He goes, oh. And like, it's like in that moment, like the world slowed down. And I thought to myself, why am I not holding this man's hand? And it was a crazy thought, man. It was like crazy. Like, so I literally thought to myself, now, Lisa, just go to bed. You'll wake up in the morning and, you know, it'll, you, you, that, was a, that was a crazy moment. It won't really be there. But I woke up in the morning. My first thought was, my God, I'm in love right. with John Adkins. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily for me, he hadn't given up on me because by the time I was able to talk with him a few days later because he'd gone out of town, I was, you know, avidly, like, just crazily trying to get in touch with him over the weekend. And, and so he finally said, yeah, look, yeah, I haven't given up. Let's try. <laughs> Uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And it's perfectly timed because we're releasing this episode just in time for Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a good segue over to Debbie Madden, who I recently met. And one of the things, Debbie, I've learned about you is that you put people first and foremost. It's the most important thing to you. Tell us more about your passion and, and how you utilize Agile outside the, the the workplace, outside the team room. I am Debbie Madden, the founder and CEO of a company called Stride Consulting in New York City. The thing that we care most about is helping tech teams be the best version of themselves they can possibly be. And I've been 
using Agile at work and in my home life, I think since it came out, I am fortunate to be married to a man who was one of the first people to go buy every book on Agile, you know, in 2001. So um, I've been using index cards to plan everything from my vacations to my annual fitness goals to um, what I'm naming my children <laughs> so for, the, for the last 18 years. And um, Lisa talked about the, uh, the Agile Thanksgiving and I... I uh, find it fascinating that one of my most treasured um, ceremonies is the Madden family Christmas retrospective. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> there must be something about the chaos of the holidays that makes us find comfort in a process we all love. For for our family, it's every every year everyone has left, the kids have gone to sleep, presents are set out, uh, we're, we're finishing off whatever open bottles of wine and dessert is left over. And we will literally do a plus delta, we'll do a happy, sad, glad. Um, and we will re- go through the evening, the, uh, the, the shopping, the actual layout of the, when we turn the stove on, uh, how many bags of ice did we have, where people were sitting, and uh, right then and there, we break out the Excel spreadsheet for the following year, and it just makes the whole the whole evening nice and feel there's a there's a level of comfort to it because whatever stress happens throughout the night, I know that we're going to make it better next time. It's one of my most favorite favorite things. The kids are old enough now; they partake in it as well. It's great. The the Christmas retrospective and <laughs> continuous improvement. I am so inspired. That's amazing. We are so doing that. Adkins retrospective. I, I appreciate that because I too am going to be using my kitchen cabinets now for, for swim lanes. hundred percent. I'm doing that. <laughs> this is great. Oh, that's really fun. We, we should, we should insist that you provide some photographs of, of the various kitchen cabinets in years to come and, and uh, the index cards around the Christmas tree for our archives. Yes. It's so fun to see how things go. Absolutely. Brad Stokes, fellow coalition member, welcome back. You've been on our show once before with Ruth Ryan Lockhart doing Safety Mystified. So it's good to hear your voice. Thank you. And um, I have to say, Ryan's got the most awesome tat of hops, that man that loves his beer on a whole other level. Anyway, uh, if you want a brief on me, I'm actually the newbie in the group to the Agile space. I started working in an Agile um, way only a couple of years ago as a developer and i've been a scrum master for about six months um scrum master front-end developer so that's my heritage in the space and i've found the coalition i've absolutely loved it and i really love what it does to people and what the agile ideas and mindsets helps teams and people actually achieve uh in my own family we've uh, i have four kids between myself and my partner and my eldest boy actually has uh, ASD so he's on the autism spectrum disorder as an Asperger's and uh, has ADHD and we, we've used some things like uh, personal Kanban for him to try to get him organized uh, with varying levels of success uh, which is pretty fun. Uh, the, the other thing I really love with uh, say the agile mindset is I, I love the idea of personal mini personal retrospectives which uh, I've used a few times with the kids. He's dumb, doesn't fix anything, but okay, let's have a look at what actually happened 
unpack that and uh, let's look at how we can make that better on the next time through. And that for me is one of the things I've taken away uh, from this space. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm. What were some of the successes and, and challenges that you had introducing Kanban to your, to your son? Oh, that one's fun. Just getting him to understand it. My daughter, who's a little bit younger, has seen it and she's like, oh, I love it. She takes after my wife, who's incredibly um, organized, so it just clicked. But for Jay, he, he tends to be quite – he's incredibly capable, incredibly high-functioning, but what he does is lack a few social graces and he tends towards disorder as opposed to order. So actually understanding that we um, – have a list of things that we're going to do today. We move them when we start and then we move them when we finish because it would often be, oh, I'll start a whole bunch of things. So whip limits were actually, funnily enough, an important aspect for him. And then the mm. discipline of having that daily stand-up because it's not always easy. I, I work about an hour and a half from home and we, as I said, have four kids and we live incredibly busy lives. So actually helping him be focused enough was one of the big challenges that we had. Oh, that's great. I have the daily stand-up to know what the day is like and give it some predictability. I, I, I want to add that, Brad, my daughter has ADD as well. And the school that she's in does two stand-ups essentially a day. And in the morning, eight children and one teacher, they talk about what they did yesterday, what they're going to do today before they go to their first period. And at the end of the day as well, they have a closing stand-up. Oh, it's nice. And I, I don't, I've never heard of any other school do this. And that behavior has been life-changing for her. It's been so wonderful to help her get organized, really kind of ease into the day. Well, when you talk about children on the spectrum or with ADHD, for instance, uh, one of the things that they respond very well to is visual cues. So the um, communication that's just inherent in a Kanban board, for instance, is actually quite useful. Um, again, the trick is getting them to look at said board, uh, which we've occasionally very much <laughs> struggled with. Well, hopefully it's not in Jira, Brad. That's Funnily enough, my wife and I keep uh, multiple Jira boards for our own stuff. So it's, it's very sad. Um, in fact, uh, Makana is incredibly organized. It blows me away with how productive she is um, and was keeping spreadsheets and notes and notes. And I've one day said, why don't you just do that in Jira? And she said, what's this Jira? So I've taken her through it. And she said, how could you keep that a secret from me? <laughs> I don't know if it was an April Fool's gag, but Atlassian produced a video. I'll try to find it and put a link in our show notes where there was Jira for kids and and mom was running through the chores uh, for the day and, and going to bed, but um, it was quite humorous. Debbie, I'm curious. So agile in education, do you, do you think there's somebody there that knows Scrum or is it coincidence? So. As far as I have been able to tell, the, the concepts of Scrum are foreign to everyone at the school. Um, I've, I've several times had conversations with various members of the faculty, the teachers, the principal. I've said, you know, what, what you're doing is fascinating. There's something in the tech world that mirrors this. And I tell them and they, they're fascinated by it. I, I don't know how they've come across it, but... Um, they are very much using a lot of the same principles. The children even um, do some of the engineering practices, like they'll pair on a lot of things. Um, every single piece of homework they turn in is essentially refactored. They don't get a grade the first time. They get feedback 
they iterate on it and they turn it in two or three times before they actually get a grade. So I'm not exactly sure where the teachers are getting their material and I'll have to find out and I might be able to get back to you on that. But it, it's, it's coming from somewhere else as far as I can tell, which is fascinating. Yeah, it is. That might that might be another show for us, yeah. Agile and Education. Yeah. We we've had a couple of conversations on the on the coalition site about it, but nobody's really dived in deep. Most of us are in in software development or related fields. I have some intel on this. Please share. This is Lisa. So there um there is a Scrum in Schools uh, movement, I guess, with a similar manifesto to the software development manifesto, the one that we all know and love. And um, Scrum Alliance has been really promoting this and backing it. John Miller and Mike Vizdos are two guys who are deep into it. And I just have in my hand a book that was sent to me from someone who has taken Agile Coaching Institute's courses. Her name is Rebecca, Rebecca Pope Rourke, R-U-A-R-K. And it's called Agile Faculty. Hmm. Isn't this amazing? Right? So it's like... And so practical strategies for managing research, service, and teaching for college professors. Wow. Right? So it's happening. Yeah. It's so totally happening. That's great. Yeah. So is that a pre-production copy or is it, is it available? She sent it to me because um, she was so kind and said that um, a lot of what she learned in our courses and her interaction with Agile Coaching Institute in general kind of formed a lot of how she thought about this book. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I just I just literally got it in my hands a few days ago. And so when you guys started talking, I'm like, oh, let me get that book. Agile faculty, can you believe it? Yes. <laughs> yes, cool. I can. So Troy, my brother in arms here, fellow board member, co-creator yes, of Lean Agile Intelligence. How how are you taking this mindset, these principles, and applying them? I have I have a few examples, so maybe it might cause some discussion. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, the first one was a couple of years ago, before I was engaged, when I was just um, dating my now fiance. We're getting married this year. Congratulations! Um, thank you. And I I asked her if she would be willing to try this personal kanban with me. That was kind of the first step. And she said, "What is it?" I said, "Well, you know, I'd like to set some long term goals and short term goals and break them down into what you know what can we do this week and this month and kind of." And she said, that makes sense. So I said, okay. So I put up a whiteboard in our kitchen and, uh, and we, every time, every night we ate dinner, we updated this board and stuff like that. And at first, uh, she got super into it. I mean, in fact, she would get on me for not moving my cards over after a while. <laughs> so, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I, it was really awesome. Right. And then just like anything, it kind of started to die out on her end, the passion I could see. And she kind of just start, started forgetting about it. And I didn't really challenge her or anything like that. I just kind of let it happen and let her, you know, maybe she's busy. Maybe she wasn't thinking about it. That's fine. So I said, you know, what would be cool if we started tracking like a, um, like actually tracking what's going on in the, in the process of the board. So I started drawing out a CFD by hand on this board. She came home from work and said, what's that? And I said, oh, it's just a little chart. She said, I never want to do this ever again. It, that scares me. I said, okay, fair enough. So the, I learned a lesson there is that 
one, introducing too much process to someone who's not ready for it is a big mistake. And two, don't kill the fun. So those two lessons I learned there. Uh, so I still do personal combat myself. And in fact, we do it. She doesn't do it with me, but we do talk about goals and, and how we're going to accomplish them. And I just track that myself. I don't really ask her to do it with me anymore. Yeah. So that's that's my first story. Um, switching. One? Yeah, oh, I have a few. Switching right, gears. Keep them coming. Okay. coming. Um, so Josh Kierowski has this, uh, and I don't know if he invented this, but I learned it from him and he has this thing called mean time to conflict resolution. Hmm. So I essentially started a working agreement with my fiance, even though she doesn't know it's called a working agreement, but, <laughs> but basically I, I essentially started this with her when I realized that I was being reluctant to say things, which I thought would bring about conflict. So I noticed that about myself. So, and I said, well, I coach teams not to do this and I'm doing it in my relationship. So I told her about this and not about the meantime thing, but I told her about, you know, a healthy relationship means that we should feel safe to bring up things that we know may cause conflict or anxiety, you know, between us. And, and I, I just shared a couple things that I had been holding back. And when I shared that, it was like, it was so beneficial because all my anxiety and my fears were like going away when we just had a basic conversation about it. You know? So getting that out there. And ever since then, we've kind of agreed that we won't, we won't hold things back when we feel that resistance. We will just be assertive and be honest with each other, you know, like, and, and try to have, try to constantly create this, this psychological safety between us. So that's number two. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so, so are you are you graphing quietly meantime to resolution of conflict and and someday you'll share it with her or are you just keeping that no. for your own knowledge? <laughs> no, essentially established a working agreement about about sensing when that when you're stopping, you know, and why why am I stopping? Am I stopping because I'm just going to say something stupid or am I stopping because I'm afraid to say it? That's like two different things. So, and the second part of your working agreement is there will be no metrics. Right there, you go. <laughs> and um, and another, and so two 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 other things, real quick, and then I'll, I'll probably be done for the rest of the episode, unless because I know I'm taking up a lot of time. But I do feel like you know somebody may find this interesting. So one, a couple of books really have impacted me recently that I read that I've applied in my. Uh, not only work life, but personal life. And those two books are uh, A Theory of Everything and uh, by Ken Wilber and uh, Responsibility Process by Chris, Christopher Avery. So the idea of A Theory of Everything and uh, Integral Theory, I've actually I started applying it. And I, and I funny, funny enough, I, I applied it to my own weight loss because I've been trying to lose weight for a long time and I wasn't able to do it. And when I applied that Integral Theory and that, that the four quadrant perspective, it totally changed like the dynamic between me and my fiance and my, my results. Like I lost 22 pounds in a month and 5% body fat. Like in the first month, it was pretty crazy. Ooh, baby. Wait, wait, so, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, just doing yeah. <laughs> theory on your, on your, on yourself and break, yes. break that one down for us. Okay. We, so, we might have the, uh, the theory <laughs> of everything slash weight loss. Okay. So here's, here's what happened. And it, actually the responsibility process and integral theory, in my opinion, go hand to hand because the if you're not familiar with the responsibility process out there, please just Google that book and read it because I'm telling you, it's, to me, it's one of those life-changing books if you apply it. 
So, you know, integral theory is based on four quadrants. I'm not really going to cover that here. But the first quadrant in the top left corner is all about self, right? And that's why that responsibility process is like the perfect model to go with that one quadrant, I feel, you know. So I was trying to take responsibility for my own actions and, and trying to lose weight and I would lose weight and then I would gain it and it was just constant struggle, right? And it wasn't until I backed up and said, I need to look at my interactions with my fiance who makes meals most of the time, right? Number one. And also, I need to have that discussion with her and we need to come in alignment about how I'm going to achieve this goal and not just do it myself, right? And then on the, the system side, I travel a lot. I'm a consultant, so I don't make my own food when I'm on the road, right? So there's this whole system of, oh, the restaurants around me, the type of food that's available, all that stuff. So once I worked that out, and then I was able to figure out that top right quadrant, which is your your kind of self-observations from an objective point of view, so uh, body fat, uh, weight, um, and stuff like that, then I was able to use something a friend who started coaching me. It's called the ketogenic diet. I was able to use this um, this approach to uh, health that he has been doing, and, and it wasn't successful. I had tried it before, but it wasn't successful until I had thought about all four quadrants and actually applied it. So that's an example of how I did it through. Uh, that's how exa- that's an example of how I got had the results I've had by using integral theory. And if that makes any sense, it makes total sense to me. This is Lisa. I'm down okay. with that. Like, so integral theory is a huge part of, of um, the way I look at agile coaching and kind of like just the whole world in general. And we teach it yeah. in our courses because it just creates, as, as you did in your weight loss, just a much more complete view of what the heck is going on. You know, because we're, we're all in our rut of like the way we think about something. And yet there are at least three other ways that could give us some information if we would just look through those lenses, those integral quadrants as lenses. It's cool stuff, man. I'm way down with it. Lisa, I've been applying this like um like I said in my personal life. And I just yesterday I, I attended coaching agile teams. Uh so I'm in the second day of it. Well just that's finished. right. I forgot that you're in it right now. That's so crazy, man, that you're in one of the courses <laughs> so, that I helped create. That's so, so basically they open it basically opens up about integral theory and I'm like, this is like the right time for me. Like, <laughs> the right place, right time to experience this because it's exactly what I'm going through, right? And the last thing I'll mention, and I actually think that this is um, super beneficial for relationships, is this Chris Avery responsibility process. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's it's, for those that are unfamiliar, it's a model that all human beings go through a pattern of when something happens, right? When you experience some kind of anxiety, when something goes wrong, where there's a conflict, your brain goes through these steps, right? Almost like a bit like spiral dynamics that way too, but it's these are actual more little steps. So the first one is is could be denial, but usually it's lay blame. So something happens, right? And usually we blame somebody right away. It's just a natural reaction. And then if you get past that step, then you go into justifying and justifying why that happened, even though you're not blaming anyone. If you get past that step, you go into this shame mode where you start to feel sorry for yourself. And then and then after that, you can tend to go into this obligation. And I think that this is a, a problem with a lot of relationships, at least that I have been in in the past. <laughs> I can speak for myself, right? Is that this obligation where we think we think taking responsibility is obligation, meaning 
okay, we have an obligation to our kids or obligation to whatever family and stuff like that. So we do things we don't want to do because we feel obligated. But that's actually not actual true responsibility. That's actually not the how to actually affect change in yourself and for and to be happy. So to, to break through that, you take 100% ownership of everything. So an example would be a conflict comes up in our relationship, right? And I think I'm right, okay? And she thinks she's right. And so who's here has experienced that, okay? <laughs> so you have two people that think they're right. And the first thing I do is I'll blame her, right, for something that I think she did wrong, example, okay? So one of the things that Chris Avery teaches is that look at everything as it's your fault, right? Like look at everything as you can take responsibility for it, no matter what it is, okay? So for instance, if this problem happens, I can say to in my brain, instead of blaming her, once I go through that mental process, and hopefully I don't do it out loud, okay? Once I go through that, I can say, what could I have done to prevent the situation or made it better, right? And it's just saying, if you think about it that way, then you're always in control. Okay. So yes, internally, do I feel that maybe there's things that she could have done? Yes. But you know what? I'm going to take responsibility for what I could have controlled and what I can control in the future and make sure that I do that better. And at the same time, I'm not going to hold back uh, on feeling like I can't express how I feel when it comes to being assertive. But the difference is I'm not going to blame her for it because I'm going to take responsibility for couldn't have having done something better, you know? So that's, it. that's how I'm using some of the stuff I use in coaching, but in my personal life. It's great how it all wraps up together. I mean, it fits in also with all sorts of other things. Like if you think about the three pillars of empiricism, you trying to make things transparent that are transparent, you're looking at what's happening and then you're adapting to that as well. You basically moving the whole thing that drives Scrum, for instance, into the personal realm by taking that responsibility. When, when you're pointing fingers and it's just, oh, that's somebody else's problem, but when you actually open that up and make it visible and you can look at that and inspect it and uh, transform and change and make your choices about what you're actually going to do, it makes such a big thing. It uh, makes a big difference in uh, be it work or family. Yeah, I agree. Great point, Brett. Yeah, making it visible. Some of the things that I've done and, and – and <laughs> it, it's interesting. Our youngest daughter is just finishing up her senior year in high school and is applying to colleges. And she is sharing with us her essays that she writes. And some of these essays reflect back to us parenting things that we, we didn't really know how significant they were in her child's life. And in one of the particular essays, she was writing how there are post-it notes in every room in the house. <laughs> and as coaches and, and scrum masters, we kind of take it for granted that you need post-it notes to like do sort of things. And I never realized that she thought it peculiar because when she went to visit friends' houses, there were no post-it notes. So, so am I scouring my children with a whiteboard in the kitchen? <laughs> we, we do these things and, and, they, and they take it and, and it's in their family of origin, so it's natural. But then they go to somebody else's house and they're like, where are your post-it notes? You're what? No, we don't have any of those. So we've done things like the happiness wall or the happiness door um, to get through the sort of the, the, the dreary months of the winter. Another thing we did last summer, or maybe it was two summers ago, we decided we were going to have a staycation. And, and none of us could decide what we wanted to do. But we did have a budget. And so we 
we collectively did a bunch of di- uh, brainstorming and just filled the whiteboard in the kitchen with <laughs> a backlog, a backlog of things that we might do and, and approximate cost and duration. And then every morning of this one week staycation, we would dot vote and the things with the most dots, we'd move to the to-do column. And we'd go to the, awesome. the museum or we'd go to the movies or we'd go on a picnic. And then when we came back, we'd move it to done and we'd get the next oh, one. Oh, that, that that's, that's awesome. Just delightful. Totally delightful. Okay. I, I, I have to ask, has anybody actually, we have big uh, mirrored uh, cupboards that you see in certain places. Has anybody had a child with a problem and then mapped the entire thing on the mirror with a whiteboard marker? Please tell me I'm not alone. <laughs> I have not done that yet, but I would love to hear more about how that wound up for you. Really well. Um, in fact, he discovered that he could draw on the whiteboard, on the mirrors, which probably wasn't the best thing. But <laughs> so, so it was the equivalent of the five whys on why uh, Brad Jr. did what he did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, no, I... Well, he was, he was working in Scratch at the time, so we were having a frustration. So Scratch is a coding language for kids. It's a visual method of actually putting code together. So he was uh, struggling with things. So we actually drew it out on the whiteboard and collaborated together to come up with a solution and uh, actually took him through some fairly sophisticated Boolean logic using a, a mirror, basically. Wow. It was a lot of fun. It comes back to that visual aspect of learning and and i'm i'm afraid sometimes we we ignore that if if we aren't paying attention i don't know how much of our brain capacity or our neurons are devoted to visual interpretation and thinking every time i run into a problem my default is to start drawing a picture chances are you're a very visual person as well um but i mean if you come back to the basis basics of learning i can't remember which it was that was actually exploring the idea of kinesthetic audio and uh, visual learning. And normally everybody's a combination of the, th- the three, but they'll default back to the one that they find more com- comforting. So if you're a big book person, chances are you're very visual. If you need to hear something, you'll go to your podcast. Um, but yes, that, that manifests as well in your teams and how they interact. But it also works in the family as well. It, I probably wouldn't draw big charts for my daughter, but I might take her through something. And again, it's adapting to the situation. And the individual. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm sitting here and just as each of you shares a story, I'm like, oh, I have one similar to that. Oh, we're doing something weird like that. Oh, we're planning our vacation like that. And I had not realized how much it's like insidious how how Agile's in here. It's inside me. I find the one that I get is the mindfulness, the mindfulness that just comes out of the practice of saying, okay, what? because I, I have a bit of a routine that I'm, I commute. So on the train, I make a point of stopping for a few moments and saying, okay, what happened today at work? What could I have done better? What can I do better the day after? And what do I need to know about? And that mindfulness just seeps in. When you're wrong and you have conflict, you, you can detach yourself almost at times to actually say, okay, where am I wrong in this? Because chances are I am. Yeah, it, it really does seep into your soul. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that echoes something you said, Troy, in your responsibility approach, right? Where, where am I wrong? Where, what am I missing? Or how have I contributed to this situation? 
Yeah, because there's always things, I mean, there's extreme cases, obviously exceptions to everything, right? But for the most part, there's always things that you could do or you could have done to prevent that situation from happening, right? Or something you could have done better. It doesn't mean that your partner is always right and you're always wrong. It, it, that's not what it means. It just means that in order, you can take responsibility and have actually control your life for basically everything. And understanding that and understanding how to get there. So mindfulness is part of it. So for instance, um, like the first thing you have to do is kind of dedicate yourself to trying to think that way instead of laying blame, instead of going into obligation and justification, say, you know what, like I'm going to intend to always try to take responsibility for my actions, right? This comes from Chris Favey's thing. But the second part about this and the hard part is awareness. So that means that as soon as something triggers your anxiety, right? As soon as something triggers that wanting to lay blame, you have to be aware that it's happening. Like that's the first step, you know? And that's something I'm working on. It takes time. It's like anything. And then the last part about it is once you're aware of it, then how do you confront it? And how do you come to the, how do you figure out like what things that you could have done better and how, how, you're partly responsible for this, even if you don't necessarily feel like it. But if you actually think about it, you can usually think of something which you have contributed to this problem. I'm listening to all of these powerful examples that we have brought to our lives, and they've been pretty much contained to our family units. But I've experienced, uh, you know, my kids are in grade school and middle school where I've tried to instill some of these values in them because I think the theme of this conversation is, you know, agile as a mindset carries through to your life. It's not just something, you know, for ceremony's sake, but it's it's a collaborative, humble approach to life and work. And I've run into situations where I've given my kids that guidance and then they've encountered a grown-up um, that doesn't have this mindset. And they come home very confused and almost defeated. Um, I think it's very challenging for them to express and articulate, oh, well, that's not the way I do it at home, right? Because I think that you get reprimanded or you get punished or you get told, no, no, and that's the final answer. And there's, there's just, a, there's a big world out there. And especially for the kids to navigate, you know, and I, I you know, I don't want to say, oh, well, like, you know, they'll get it eventually in 10 years, you know, we're right and they're wrong. I know that's not the, <laughs> that's not a useful piece of feedback, but has anyone else experienced this where, you know, inside our homes, things are progressing and we're finding an iterative way to live. And then outside the home, there's um, conflict. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think some of the values that we all live by create a foundation for our kids to explore and experiment with the courage and the honesty and the humility and the passion that we bring to our, our practice and our lives is, is deeply seated in our children. And so when they're confused, they have the humility to, to sort of question their own beliefs, but they also have the courage to question what they're seeing in front of them. Mm -hmm. I, I, and I think that's a beautiful thing we as parents uh, can gift our children with. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. That is really nice. I mean, and basically we're trying to raise 
complex human beings that are a match for the complexity around us. That's ever-changing. Yeah. The adaptability. Yeah. 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 And to harness that change for good, Mm. you know, instead of being confronted by it, like, like Debbie, probably some of those adults are confronted by change and would rather have a simplistic rule that ends in, no, you can't. Right, right, you know? exactly. Right. And, and you know, they come home, this is not the way we have discussions at home. This is not the way we resolve things here. Um, how do I look, go into school and talk to my math teacher when they have clear authority over me? You know, they're not using those words. They're saying, you know, they said the thing and I got in trouble and I don't understand why. <laughs> when, when I just asked a question about what if we did it this way in the future. Um, it's a learning process for them. Have you ever been in senior leadership when, when that's happened? <laughs> I, just last day, you know, I, I would say something and the VP would respond in exactly the same way, right? Yeah. So I, I don't think it's exclusive to our children yeah. and their adult relationships in school. We, we run into that hierarchy all the time. Yeah, it's a clash of value systems. I mean, is the bottom line of it. I mean, if you can, you can kind of look at through any, you know, level in the world and see it right now. You can look at it in politics. You can look at it, the rise of nationalism. I am not taking us to those topics, folks. But, you know, it's like it's the whole clash of values is rampant right now. Yeah. So we're doing great yeah. things in yeah. our homes. You know, I believe it. I have a kid who's 20 years old and um, she's in sophomore in college. And, you know, when she was like oh, maybe eight or nine years old and I was just learning professional coaching and I would try to ask her a powerful question. I was so proud of myself. And she'd say, Mommy, don't do that coaching thing to me. <laughs> you know, but, but, there was so, but, there was, but there was something about that that got embedded deep in her. Um, because by the time she was in high school, she could come to me and, and ask for coaching or mentoring. And she really knew the difference. And, and now when she went off to school, like the week she went off to school, I was teaching a class. And there was another mother whose daughter went off to school the same week. So our, both of our kids are off to school. My kid is in her own world. She's doing fine. She's great. This other mother has her daughter texting her every, literally like every hour, freaking out about something. and. You know, who knows? This is a very simplistic explanation. There's a lot more going on, obviously, in both of these children's and mother's lives but and their interaction. But the mother finally said to me, I just texted her back a powerful question. And all of a sudden, she had an answer. And, and so even though it's hard, even though in some ways our agile value system kind of bucks the convention, I think it's really worth it. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be. Well, we're coming up on time. I want to thank each of our panel guests, Lisa Adkins, Debbie Madden, Brad Stokes, Troy Lightfoot. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. I want to thank our listening audience as well. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a review or a rating. And if you'd like to join the discussion, share how you too are using agility outside of the team room. Meet us over at thecoalition.agileuprising.com. And finally, support from awesome listeners like you helps us cover our hosting and production costs so we can keep on having conversations just like this. See our show notes for details on how you can support us and become a patron. 
Until next time, this is the Agile Uprising podcast, signing out.